Welcome back to the one in 26 podcast today I have Josh Perry on with me and just a little background on us I virtually met him through prove it um, I started drinking exogenous ketones back in 2017 and that's kind of how I connected with him but today is the first time we're actually chatting and although Josh does not have epilepsy he had his first seizure close to two months ago so I invited him on the podcast to chat about that so welcome josh how are you yeah thanks for having me i'm doing well uh as we were just talking about before i just moved uh two weeks ago from tomorrow be two weeks to florida from north carolina with my girlfriend and just getting settled in and then unpacked and all that so it's uh it's it's feels a weight has been lifted and then now um you know getting back into routine and all those things so it's been it's been nice now yeah and i also saw on social that you have a new puppy. How did the how did the move go for the puppy? Yeah, Cheddar. Yeah. Uh, well, to be clear, we've had him um, a year and a half, two years oh, okay. now. I got to look at the okay. the dates. We still refer to him as a puppy, like a pup. Or we have a ton of nicknames for him. But yeah, okay. he um, he's doing well. We actually um, have him on a ketogenic, like a dog food ketogenic diet um, through um, Visionary Pet Food. I think they I think that's what it's called, Visionary Pet Food. They're, um, I learned about them through Metabolic Health Summit a couple of years ago, and they actually, I think it was the founders of Quest Nutrition, uh, got together with some partners and they created this facility um, taking dogs that were um, in different shelters that had cancer or that didn't have much to live and put them on a ketogenic diet and oxygen therapy and all these things and then had remarkable results and visionary pet food I, I don't quote me on this but i think was founded throughout that journey or like right before or something so um yeah it's a good quality dog food brand wow. and so we just get them on that <laughs> yeah something in common then right that's so yep. cool I, so yeah I, we just adopted another puppy um we've had her for about four days now so i yeah it's been fun but um, uh, you recently had a seizure about two, close to two months ago. And just for the audience to know, uh, 11 years ago, you were diagnosed with a brain tumor. So can you share a little bit about your story? Yeah, so it was March 2010. Um, I was training in the offseason, getting ready for a competition uh, a couple weeks later in April, which was the first pro contest I won the year prior and won the best trick contest, landing a trick for the first time that had never been done in competition. So I won the, the contest, and I won the best trick contest, what, which won me a Harley-Davidson, brand new, which I sold to pay bills back then for the, the year. I, I, I was smart. I knew I didn't want to wreck it and lose the value. Um, so you know, fast forwarding March 2010, I'm getting ready for that same contest and practicing a new trick outside of the foam pit on the real ramp because I needed to see if I could get it dialed in for the contest rather than trying a trick for the first time on a ramp at a contest, probably not the smartest decision. And that the first one I tried, I was afraid of under rotating the flip and the spin of the trick. And so I overcompensated and then got ejected off my bike and kind of like hit my head um, wearing a helmet, but got knocked out. And the, the context behind this scenario is a year prior, four to five times throughout that year prior to this head injury, I had gone into the emergency room, the urgent care of, you know, complaining of these debilitating migraines, headaches, vomiting, vision problems in and out each day. Um, and, you know, asking for scans of my, my skull because I thought there was something wrong and had health insurance, you know, I was 20 to 21, depending on the time of the year, uh, 2009, 2010. And, you know, they kept denying me scans because they would look at my, you know, my judgment about my cover essentially young professional athlete in shape blood work didn't show anything abnormal but here i am suffering and they're telling me you're fine here's some pain pills to manage the pain come back if you need more um and i just you know took it at what it was you're the doctor you know better i'm just a civilian you know at, at the time you know i was four years out of dropping out of high school living as a professional athlete i was like what do i know about this you know lo and behold i didn't have a pain pill deficiency because that head injury now required an mri so a year of complaining of headaches, migraines, vomiting, vision problems, asking for a scan, being denied, even though I have health insurance, I'm paying for it um, because essentially they judge me by my cover. You know, that head injury required MRI, which revealed an eight centimeter long, four centimeter wide, four centimeter 
deep brain tumor on the left side of my brain. So my, I don't know if you can see, but it certainly did a really good job. But like starting right here, my forehead, the scar goes all the way back and then around to here. And it was like, you know, I think in real life, it's like about like that, that big. It looks like, you know, you look at the MRI, it's like a funky sweet potato looking right. mass in the left side of my brain. And, you know, that, you know, fast forward a year and a, a week and a half later, had the surgery, they removed it. And I was back on my bike in five weeks after surgery. And I was competing 13 weeks after surgery uh, in England. Back to normal, doing my thing, you know, trying to take care of myself inside and out as best as I could as what I was learning. And then a routine MRI at this point, I'd moved to, I think after surgery was six months, six months, and then yearly MRIs. The first yearly MRI, which was two years from the surgery, revealed um, two small areas, uh, mass that had grown back. And my surgeon explained that when they got in there for the original surgery, which took six hours, the tumor had wrapped around the main artery and my optic nerve. So he said that the regrowths were just regrowths. They were just residual cell growth because when they got in there, it was so complicated that they couldn't risk hitting either the optic nerve or my artery for many obvious reasons of risk, you know, paralysis, gone blind, uh, could have had a stroke, could have bled out. Um, the list goes on. So he suggested that it was just uh, residual cell growth and to go through radiation. Well, I didn't like the sounds of radiation, so I did some Googling and found a technology called gamma knife radiotherapy, which is a form of radiation therapy, but it's, um, I guess the best way to, to explain it is like 180 degrees of different radio wave beams that they use a computer to pinpoint the exact location for treatment. So when all these radio waves match up, they are powerful um, in that, in that targeted area so it doesn't cause damage to the surrounding tissue they actually can laser focus where they want to treat and you know so success rates were above 93 percent most people return to work the day after it's outpatient procedure you know harmless like you don't feel anything you don't hear anything uh the best way to describe the experience is like an mri machine like you lie down on a bed you go back into this tunnel you sit there, it, you don't hear anything, you don't feel anything, it does its job, you go in and out for three, well, depending on my situation, but um, anywhere from five to 30 minute sessions. I, I went through three, I think like a 15 minute, a 10 minute, and like a 25 or 30 minute session. And then I went home uh, that day and I was back riding a week later. With that treatment, the two masses that had grown back shrunk little by little for four years. So they stabilized around 2016 and then they haven't progressed since. All is well. I'm back on my bike. I'm traveling the world. Um, I'm competing. I'm filming videos. I'm, I'm just living my dream that I was. And I'm just in this mindset of progression and auditing how I can progress. And then, um, you know, yearly and then bi yearly scans advance. And then it was February 2017 that two new masses on the opposite side of my brain popped up. And this was right after my best year competing, which was only two months back on my bike after an ACL reconstructive surgery, which is when I met Jackie uh, before the surgery. So she walked me through prehab, the recovery from surgery, and then you know strength training, getting back on the bike. And I was competing in the World Series and a 10th overall in the standings, best year competing ever, getting ready for the next season, 2017. Um, you know, February started off the year with a third brain tumor diagnosis, leaving me with four tumors in my skull. Two months prior to that, my main bike sponsor dropped me um, out of nowhere, and which meant my paycheck was gone, and I still had two months off my bike, and you know, so all these things coming together, and then I realized when the third diagnosis came, there's got to be something that I can do with this. There's got to be something higher than myself that this is happening for, because I'm alive, I'm well, I'm able to perform mentally and physically at an elite, you know, professional athlete level. Um, but this is still happening. There's got to be something I can do with this. And that's when I decided to leave competition, um, still capable. And uh, up until January of 2020, rode at a professional level, still progressing, filming. But I wanted to do something more. I wanted to focus on purpose rather than just self-fulfilling dream, which I was living. And ultimately, no one really cared that I was living my dream. They cared more about what I represented by doing that and going through the events that I'd gone through with the different brain tumors and the injuries and all that. And I, I took note of all these things. And I was like, how can I use this third diagnosis to help myself and help other people? And that's when I walked away and I started pursuing speaking, built my coaching business, started writing, which I wrote a book, which will be coming out uh, started next year, things like that. And 
that's when I got really um, passionate about following a ketogenic diet. So the backstory with that, I know I'm rambling, but this is all coming to a peak here soon. <laughs> 2013, I read Grain Brain by Dr. David Perlmutter. And he wrote that book to paint the picture of blood sugar levels and the correlation to brain health, performance, longevity, and risk factors, and having blood sugar levels chronically elevated or lowered, um, talking about high, uh, higher fat, lower carbohydrate diets, uh, talked about ketogenic diet and ketones. The first time I'd ever heard of that, it was in that book. And here's someone who's a board certified neurologist, whose father was a neurologist, whose son is also a neurologist, which I've had the pleasure of meeting both of them. And they're talking about food and how that affects your brain health and performance and re resiliency. And so I took note of that and I started applying these things. I found Mark Sisson with the Primal Blueprint and Paleo. I found Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. Daniel Amen. And then, you know, years kept going on. I found Dr. Ryan Lowry, Jacob Wilson, and then the whole Prove It community. And I just started applying all these things. And so fast forwarding to 2017, the third brain tumor diagnosis, I asked the surgeon, why is this happening again? You know, like we, we took the first one out, it grew back, we zapped it basically with gamma knife, they shrunk. Now other ones are popping up. And he mentioned, you know, it could be a genetic thing that's like a um, like a DNA kink or something, like a genetic kink in your, your coding somewhere that's making these pop up. And I remembered in Grain Brain, they talk about epigenetics, which ketones have profound epigenetic abilities, which is able to signal a gene to express itself one way or another. So we're looking at inflammation and all these different signals in the body as well as energy. And we know with lower energy, the body starts to deteriorate just like a car if it runs out of energy. And I was like, man, maybe there's something to this ketogenic diet and ketones and fasting and these epigenetic components. Let's go all in on it. Cause at this point I was 150 grams of carbs or less a day. Cause I'm an athlete. I'm training hours a day on my bike. I'm training in the gym. I need glycogen stores. I need to, you know, fuel my, my muscles properly. Um, didn't really understand the context of keto adaptation at that point. And, that's, I mean, I don't use carbs um, much anymore like I was then. But ultimately, I went all in, started testing my blood, started fasting. And 2019, where I spoke at Keto Academy for Prove It in April or May of uh, 2019, you know, I had just had a scan prior to that event and I got to share, like, hey, like two years ago, these two masses popped up. I went all in on a ketogenic diet and fasting. And then uh, about a year, year and a half later, I got introduced to exogenous ketones through Prove It and started adding that. And then I just had a scan before I went out there and they showed no progression of the tumors. And so that, that became something that kind of fulfilled my theory of what I was doing. And I continued down that path. Now, leading into May of 2021, you know, May 9th to be exact, in my sleep I had, I had a seizure. And that's what revealed the, about a golf ball size, and this is probably the first time I'm sharing this publicly, but a golf ball size mass had been growing in the frontal lobe and they were thinking that's what triggered the seizure. So now I'm looking at September to November having a second brain surgery to remove that mass and potentially gamma knife to treat a smaller mass in an inoperable uh, area. So that's the long <laughs> winded bullets of the 2010 first diagnosis to having the seizure two months ago and where I am now. And just, I guess, some some foreshadowing of my mindset through all this, but also what I'm looking forward to. I'm not really looking forward to, right. but what I'm looking in the future of having to go through another uh, second surgery. Yeah, but you can also go into it more confidently because you've been through it. I mean, unfortunately, but in a way you're kind of prepared with the same treatment options and all of that. Did they... When, so let's go back to May when you had the seizure and you were in the hospital, did they, and they did that, they, and when they, they did an MRI in the hospital for you, right. in a CT scan, um, did they know for sure that that seizure was triggered from your frontal lobe or was that solved after your scan? They, they don't know. I mean, and they I'm, I should, I should clarify myself, my surgeon, the neurologist at the hospital because I was on vacation at the beach with my family. Mm -hmm. um, th we all suspect that the location, the size of where it is, uh, that it caused a seizure. Um, but I don't know if there's any way to tell until they do a biopsy or until they get in there. It's just kind of all like educated speculation at this point. Mm -hmm. But I do know um, from my experience that the day prior, like I said, it happened at 2, 3 a.m. in my sleep. The day prior was probably 
um, what I see is a storm of inflammation through that that day that could have triggered it. So I don't drink alcohol even enough to say I drink once a month. But I do love dark beers, which comes from my past and my, my team manager when I was for my bike company, I was sponsored by traveling around the world, getting me to try new beers and acquiring that taste. And so I found myself enjoying darker beers. That night prior, I had two glasses of 11% um, stout. So it was like a really strong dark beer. And I also had, you know, some starch and some, you know, I think I had a slice of carrot cake or something that night, like a lot of things that are out of the norm for me. Um, but I did take some exogenous ketones. I didn't take berberine like I normally would with that whole situation. So what I'm thinking is that, you know, nutritional intake and the alcohol intake that day triggered a storm of inflammation that may have, um, you know, thankfully triggered the tumor and its location to trigger a seizure. And then ultimately, you know, that led to an MRI that revealed, hey, you know, this uh, this mass needs to be taken care of. I was unaware that it was there, or at least the size that it was there. Um, so I think it was just like a perfect storm of things that triggered it, mm-hmm. um, which revealed that, hey, there was a brain tumor, which, you know, maybe if I went another six months, same lifestyle, no alcohol involved, no starch, no sugar, may have triggered it, but maybe in a more severe way later down the road where I could have been driving and it happened. But this time, you know, with the storm that I created, essentially, in my mind, um, that I created, that it triggered it in my sleep. Right. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people do have their seizures in their sleep. And I mean, I guess in a way, thankfully, it's not when you're behind a vehicle or doing something else. But I think that it's good that you not good, but good that you something happened that you are know about it instead of like you said, six months from now. Now let's talk a little bit about the seizure. When I listened to your podcast, you talked about how you were kind of aware during the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Can you share with the listeners about, about that experience? Yeah, it was, it was interesting because I was obviously, like I said, I was asleep and when it started, I didn't think, oh, this is a seizure or is this, I, I was like, oh, I'm waking up. Like I was just like, you know, when you wake up in the morning, like you're aware, like you're conscious of waking up. And then I still couldn't see anything. Everything was still dark. It was just pitch black. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then the best way I can explain it is this like, it felt like my brain was going on overdrive and it was just like, like spinning around. And I just was like, what the hell is this? And then as it progressed, I was like, oh man, am I having a seizure right now? Cause like, I don't, I don't know, like. I mean, a friend of mine, Matt, he explains it like when you put your tongue on like a D battery when you're younger and like that sensation. And after he described it that way, I was like, I could see that. But then also there was like this other piece where it just felt like my mind was just spinning in circles and it just progressively got more and more intense to the point where I was like, shit, is this a seizure? Am I having a seizure right now? And as soon as I thought that, it just kept magnifying and I blacked out and I woke up in an ambulance. And Jackie explained in our episode that there was, you know, some convulsions. Um, she, you know, I was already on my side, so she didn't have to do anything. You know, there was some blood because I bit the shit out of my tongue. Um, and she said I turned blue and then, you know, was fine after that. But she said it was like a minute and a half it happened and it occurred for. Um, but then there was like this whole thing with the ambulance because we were in like a beach house, like having to like get me down the stairs and then onto the ambulance and everything. And I woke up in the ambulance and was like, oh, <laughs> like I was like, oh, that must have been a seizure, I guess, because here I am. And, you know, she was like, Everyone was like really worried, but I was fine. I didn't have any pain. There was no fear. I just was like waking up super groggy and I was just like, oh, okay. So something happened and everyone's like super worried and Jackie's like, you're going to be okay. And I was like, what the hell happened? Like I, right. I just remember going to sleep and then now here I am. So yeah, it was, it was fascinating. Um, and I, I don't know, I haven't, like, I still haven't looked into uh, seizures much, um, something that's kind of interesting about me is like, I'll either like look super into something like before my surgery in 2010, I was looking up YouTube videos of brain surgeries. I remember I was watching like one of the saw movies where they actually have a scene where, <laughs> like, I just super interested. And then now I'm just kind of like, God, it's just it kind of irrelevant to me. Cause like, I just want to like learn what to do. You know, right now I have a surgery coming up. Like how do I move past this? Mm-hmm. Um, but something that I may be interested to ask you since you obviously have a lot more education in this or just other people like I wonder if it's uh, if me being conscious of that experience which Matt Tift who I mentioned to you out he's been conscious throughout most of his from my understanding like from start to finish Uh, Miles Sullivan another friend of mine who has focal seizures is conscious through it 
mm-hmm. I was like, man, like, is this, I wonder if like my ability to be fully aware of everything until I blacked out comes from like my background of the last few years getting deeper and deeper into exploring my mind and consciousness and meditation, psychedelics, float tanks, like everything to do with getting beyond my, my body and my ego and like getting deeper into my mind. Um, or if I just happened to be a freak incident where I've just hit my head enough times and had enough trauma with my brain that I just happened to be, you know, aware of it happening. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it could be both. Um, for it, it also could be the type of seizure you had. Um, there's things called partial seizures where you are cognitive of everything. Um, typically when people, the blackout part of it is so like what I, what I mean when I say partial is it could have started out as a partial seizure and then led into a tonic clonic, which is a generalized seizure. So when the seizure affects your whole entire brain, you're basically all the neurons are shooting everywhere. And then your body responds by convulsing because it doesn't know what your brain's, Mm -hmm. your brain's going nuts. Um, So it could have been both. You could have had started off with one and then bled into led into the other one um fortunately yeah uh, i think a lot of people don't have those warning signs um or they're they don't they're not intuitive to how their diet is or how they take care of themselves so they don't know that something's off when i talk to a lot of people who newly diagnosed or have newly had a seizure or their first seizure, I, that's the, one of the first things I say is if you aren't tracking what you're eating, if you're not uh, sleeping well, keep a journal, write all that down and keep track. And if anything is different, make note of it. Now, everybody's seizure history and diagnosis is so different. There's not, there's definitely not a cookie cutter thing, but having that information to bring to your um, your neurologist or your epitologist is super important. And for your own peace of mind. I mean, for me, myself too, I like to get away from the ego and really, you know, meditate and dive in and figure out how I can be the best version of myself. Um, so that's important. That's what I share for other people. But I think that I think also your mindset about the whole experience too is knowing that I guess you know you could very well have googled seizures and seen so many traumatic things. Um, there's so many different things online that could scare you completely when it comes to epilepsy. There's a lot of depression out there. Uh, mental health is huge when it comes to people with epilepsy. Um, that's a whole other conversation, but I think a lot of it has to do with the inability to drive. Some people can't work because of it. Um, but I think you staying in your lane per se and knowing what you need to do for yourself has helped, has helped with this experience. Do you agree? Yeah, I definitely would agree. You know, I, I, I do know my belief is everything that I talk about and how I try to optimize my mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health. So inside and out, like everything I do to try and better myself has um, increased my quality of living throughout these 11 years and potentially, um, you know, prevented me from having a seizure up until this point. 11 years of living with one or more masses um, throughout most of that time, throughout most of that time was flipping and spinning on my bike, head injuries throughout that process. And 2010, like the early years of this journey for me, I was still drinking. I was 21 years old. I was still drinking copious amounts of alcohol because it was like you train hard, you work hard, you go party hard. And I lived in a college town, but I didn't go to college. So I just, you know, a lot of my friends were college students at East Carolina University. It was just a big party town. Um, On top of the, like, I don't even know. I have to do, I keep saying this and I need to do this is go through an, like a, a typical day of my life with all the food, the sodas, the alcohol, and just add up a typical day of sugar intake and see what that's like. Cause it has to be at least 600 grams of sugar a day from all the processed food and candy and all that sodas. Like I drank a two liter of Dr. Pepper a day cause it was cheaper than water. And because it didn't affect me physically, I thought, Oh, I'm healthy. Um, but I do know that all the things I do has probably put me in the position I am today. But like also you mentioned before, having gone through a, a full on brain surgery, having gone through different types of radiation and having gone through, um, you know, the mental health challenges that we all human beings face, 
um, has set me up to be able to handle this in the way I have. And like I said, I haven't, I haven't until today, haven't really shared this publicly of what I'm, you know, facing with another surgery, a second surgery. But I do believe, you know, just the way I live my life, the things I'm interested in, and how I apply those things, that it set me up mentally and physically to be in a much better space than back when I was 21 years old to be able to go through this, but also to have the mental capacity to look at it the way I am and just treating it like another injury. Like, okay, what's the diagnosis? What's the recovery look like? Like how long, like what am I doing? And more importantly, how do I use this to help fuel my mission of serving other people and what my main outcome from all my intentions, whether it's keto, it's mental, it's business, it's speaking, communication, whatever tool, if you want to call it that, that I'm sharing with someone, it all comes up to the higher purpose of helping people uh, define who they are based upon the vision they hold in their mind rather than being defined by their circumstances. Because I could easily, any of these things that we've talked about that I've gone through could have easily given up on what I'm pursuing play the victim card, play small and been like, oh, you know, woe is me. And no one would probably judge me other than people like Jackie, maybe my <laughs> parents do a degree that people actually know me and would say that's not you. With all that said, for two or three weeks, I didn't understand this, but I was battling depression after going through it. Um, something we spoke about before we started recording was I didn't know you're not supposed to drive. So I've been driving this whole time until recently finding out that like, oh yeah, you're not supposed to drive when you have a seizure and you have to be on a low grade of anti-seizure medication. Uh, but throughout the first three weeks, I'm, I'm back to daily life, bowling, golfing, driving, you know, living my life and got to the point one day where I was talking to Jackie and this is right before we moved. And I was like, man, I just like, I have this feeling like I still, you know, backing up six months ago, I told her, I was like, I have this feeling that everything's going to be not just good, but great for, you know, the life we're pursuing a lot of changes, her leaving her athletic training background to now pursue photography full time. Um, us moving to Florida from North Carolina, a lot of different things we're pursuing, a lot of different projects I have going on. And I was like, I just have this feeling like this, this overwhelming feeling of just like, like this weight lifted and everything's gonna be good. And even through the, uh, the seizure, I still had this, this sense sensation and this belief and this overall feeling that everything's gonna be great. Like life's great. And then three weeks later, I just told her one day, I was like, yeah, I just like lately I've been feeling like I've been doing everything, been taking care of my clients, been getting all my responsibilities done. But I just have this this feeling of like, why bother? Like, I could go bowl, I could go work out, I could go golf, but why? I could pick up riding again 16 months later, but why? You know, like, why not just, you know, just sit around and just do nothing? Or like, I was even questioning, not in a suicidal way, but like, why even bother living? Like, why bother? Like, just kind of questioning everything from like a more... Um, I don't know if stoicism, like stoic way or like just like a um, like philosophical way, like why do any of this? Like why try to better my health? Why take this medication? Like why? Like I just, and she was like, yeah, that's a form of depression. Because like the things you enjoy doing that you're questioning why even bother doing them, now you're not doing them, but you're taking care of your responsibilities. Like you're doing the day in, day out things you need to do that you label as need to do. She's like, yeah, you're depressed. And it took me a minute to fully understand and then accept that. And then by doing so, I, I freed up a lot of judgment on myself of like, why am I not doing this? Why am I not getting up when it's dark out and going to the gym and doing this and that? Like, why am I just like kind of being lazy, which is, you know, not how I normally am. And so, you know, then <laughs> moving forward to then learning that, oh yeah, you're going to have a second brain surgery and potentially gamma knife again. Um, in a couple months here, and then that's going to prevent some plans and some physical things. I know the recovery after brain surgery is at least three to four weeks of not doing anything besides just sitting around, walking, maybe not doing anything to elevate your heart rate or blood pressure. Like I, I've been through that. I know that. And so just like foreshadow, or like foreseeing like what's to come was just keeping me super, super like bummed. And then I decided, okay, you know, the tools that I, you know, have learned and that I help my clients, um, implement and learn is okay here's where i am well what do i want i know where i am i don't want this what do i want and then getting a picture of that okay cool how do you make that happen and so i decided long story short to take all of that negative energy if you will and put it into a project that i can document right now going through the surgery going through all these things in different forms and then pulling the lens back even further and documenting all the behind the scenes to create a documentary film or docu-series, however it ends up being, to be able to share with other people and then starting my foundation and all these different things that's like, 
I've always found myself putting myself into something physical to distract from myself from whatever negativity. And that's how BMX was really uh, shaped for me, becoming such a passion that I made a career out of and that literally and figuratively saved my life. And now I've learned so much about awareness. It's like, okay, rather than trying to run from this, now I'm using that energy to do something, not just avoid it and suppress it, which is something I've learned from emotional trauma in the past that could be exper- uh, could be creating the experiences of whether it be a seizure or brain tumor. It's just trapped emotions and traumas that now I'm learning to release. And that's come through meditation, working with mental and emotional coaches, um, psychedelics. It's just anything to get past this you know, ego and typically a male in America today or even in the past, it's been don't talk about emotions, take everything, you know, kick some dirt on it, get up and walk it off. You know, don't talk like just basically suppressing who you really feel and what you feel deep down. And now I'm letting it out. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that really answered the question. I think I kind of went on a tangent, but ultimately is I'm recognizing the different mental challenges that I'm faced with and that I'm trying to do something with it because I know not everyone has gone through what I've gone through that set me up to be in this position today mentally and emotionally. And I want to teach people that they can too because I'm just an ordinary person that comes from um, you know, working class family that did it. It's amazing that they could afford a bike for me when I got a bike that put me on this path. But where I come from and what I do, it's, it was never expected. It was, it was always, um, besides a select few people, my family and friends, it was always, you know, talked down at always like, you're, you got to have a plan B, you're going to fail at this and that, like, how are you going to make a living with that? Like, and I've been able to do that. And it's put me on the path today where I'm doing things like getting paid to speak, to just share my story. Um, you know, getting paid to help people optimize their business or their health, like all these things, like writing a book, like all these things that I didn't identify with before and that where I come from, it's not like, you know, people don't do that where, where we come from. Like you go be a doctor or a lawyer or a landscaper or a construction worker, like something like that. And everything I've learned, it's been a choice to apply. It's been a choice to learn and be open to it. And I know other people can do that too if I can. And I think the way I'm looking at this today to end this little little rant is this second <laughs> surgery that came from the seizure. I'm using that as evidence to um, show people I don't just talk theory because it's been 11 years since the first brain surgery. Mm-hmm. And now I'm reliving it again. And the meaning I've made for it is like, here's evidence that I practice what I, what I, what I preach essentially and that I'm no different. Things happen. Like I'm going through something very real. It may look in the micro very different than what you're going through, but on the macro as a human being, the same needs as a human being challenge, the same thoughts, the same emotions, the same physical parts of my being are being challenged. And everything that I'm sharing is something that I've learned and applied. And maybe I don't practice it consciously every day, but that's the beauty of it is because it's been ingrained in me. That's an unconscious program I run to when negativity happens, whether it's a minute or a week that I'm experiencing it, going through it, I snap out of it to what do I want and how do I do that? How do I make that occur? And that's the message I want people to understand is you are not defined by your circumstances. You're defined by what you put up in your mind, which has a lot of influence on the outside world. It's just about navigating through that. And that's something I've learned the hard way and now the easy way and putting certain people um, in my life to remind me of that and then just my own reminders and how I live my life. Yeah. So the experience, the seizure, so I guess the seizure itself was, yes, it was a pivotal moment, but you re- you can relate it to your whole entire life, which in turn will translate to other people, nece- people with epilepsy or people without the experience can translate to other different things for pe- for people. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's essentially what this tattoo means uh, right okay. here. It's well, it looks backwards. It's mirrored, but it's it's a C with the greater than sign than mm-hmm. E, and it's to remind me. This is the equation for empowerment. It's to be at cause for your reality, no matter what's going on, rather than at effect. Meaning, bad things happen, but you choose how you respond, and it's okay to feel something. Like after my younger brother passed, I was like broken for like a year. And some of it I was acknowledging, some of it I didn't even know, Um, but on a lot of different fronts. So what I've learned is it's okay to experience things. Things are out of our control. Um, Everything we think we have control in, we we really don't, depending on how deep in conversation you want to get with this topic. But 
you know, we can't control our outcomes in our lives, but we can control how we respond. We can control the thoughts that we have to a degree. We can control the, our behavior rather than saying, oh, this happened to me, so I'm this and I can't do that. Or I'm not good enough, so I'm just going to stop. Like being at cause for your reality subjectively rather than at effect is essentially literally being empowered. And that's something that I think everyone, no matter what they're going through, has the ability to do is to shift your focus. Because you can focus on all the things in your life that make you unhappy and you're going to see more of that. Or you can shift your focus to on how amazing it is that you're a living human being and that you have a chance to survive, a chance to you know, progress, a chance to educate yourself, a chance to go speak to that person or do that thing. Like you're alive, you have the ability. And I've had rough reminders in my life of people that are no longer alive today to remind me, hey, I'm still here. I can be at cause for my reality or I can play the victim card and be at effect to everything. And um, I, I started to really understand that years ago when Jim Carrey gave a talk and he said, you know, life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. You choose how to see that. Your perspective is going to lay the path you're going to take and what you focus on expands. Like that's law of attraction. It's not like you're just going to think about things and attract them. It's like your unconscious mind, you're going to focus your attention. So your unconscious mind is seeing more things. Like a great example of this is think of um, a certain car that you like or a truck you like. And you focus on that for maybe five minutes every day to start your day, you're gonna start seeing that car more and more. Yep. It's it's just what you focus on expands at the unconscious level. And that's also to say all the opportunities that you want for something in your life aren't there. They are there. It's just about what you're focusing on. You could be focusing on looking for those opportunities, or you'd be focusing on what you don't have and why you don't have them, and then you're gonna miss right over them. Right. And I talk to a lot of people with epilepsy about exactly that like they can either focus on how they're they can't drive because of their seizures or their constant if they have weekly seizures they could actually focus on that or they can shift their mindset and think about what they can actually do how they there's so many especially with the pandemic so many doors have opened for jobs to allow you to work from home. Um, so look into that. You can look into working out from home, going on walks, drinking more water, those little tiny micro things that we do daily that we don't really think anything of because they're so minute could actually be a huge shift for someone who is focusing on the negative. Uh, so I completely agree with you on that. Um, and I do love that tattoo. That's awesome. It's a great, isn't it? It's in a great spot too. So you like look down at your hands all the time, really. And it's day. right there. Yeah. Um, and something too, to the point you just spoke about, and this is why I think two things are so important, traveling and having something you're passionate about to progress with, whether it's a side hustle, a hobby or a full on career, mm -hmm. because with travel, you're going to get different perspectives around the world. Like going to India multiple times taught me how valuable uh, running water is and clean drinking water that we do like I, I don't believe we take enough um, time to be grateful for just the fact that you can go turn on pretty much any faucet of water in this country and be able to drink it in India we were showering with bottles of water and brushing our teeth and like it, it's it's a whole different world but then also having something you're passionate about to progress to even level two or level three or so on and so forth it teaches you these mindset fundamentals of getting up, trying again, delayed gratification, and working towards something that you see in your mind that is not yet in the external reality that because time hasn't taken its, you know, time hasn't gone over its job and allowed that to come up. I think travel and working towards something you're passionate about teaches us so many different perspectives to be grateful for things and to understand that, you know, oh, I have to go to work. Or you could say, I get to go to work. Mm -hmm. How many people wish they had a job that could support their family? Or how many people wish they had a car to get to that job? But it's just it's just little shifts to language, I think, are the most profound things. And that's that started right after I had uh, the first surgery for the brain tumor. You know, I referred to it as my, and someone called me out. They're like, do you know what you just said? And I, and I went through it, and they're like, well, do you want that to be a part of you? Or is that something that you don't want? And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't really want it. So like, why are you giving it power or essentially confirming or affirming that it's a part of you say the and so I've always been conscious of saying the and if I do say my which is 
very rare these days. I catch myself and I actually out loud will say, no, the, um, and with people, when they say something like my anxiety, for example, or I'm anxious, I'll, I'll stop them. And even if this feels rude in the conversation, I'll say, wait, 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 you just said my anxiety. Do you want it to be a part of you? No. Well, then why are you saying mine? Why don't you say the, or I'm anxious. Are you anxious or are you Jamie or are you John? Like, or do you feel anxious? It, those slight shifts in words and what it does to the unconscious mind and how that influences emotion, which triggers behavior, which ultimately creates the reality we experience on a daily basis, those small shifts can lead to profound changes in one's reality. And that ultimately can change the trajectory of your life and your health and what you do with that. It all depends on your language, which builds and affirms beliefs over time. And so that's just one of those things that I love sharing. It's like, traveling even if it's just getting out of your your town like my travels i've met so many people that have never left their town yeah. let alone the yeah. state or the country which is mind-boggling yeah. but you just see the world differently when you do that and then when you're working towards something which i think is a big problem today's society like every child is born with an ipad or a smartphone and it's like there's no sense of delayed gratification like even as adults we have everything at our fingertips and if you have enough money you don't have to do anything a house can be built for you food can be brought to you and you can have a massage and you can do all this depending on how much money you have you can leverage that but like that's the society we live in what do they call it like an amazon prime society today like mm -hmm. that we live in like we expect everything now and to be done for us and it's like no like if you can understand what it's like to work towards something that you're not going to be able to experience the benefit till later on that's going to be so helpful and i find that that one thing of delayed gratification the absence of that is what creates so much, um, I'd say, unhappiness and fulfillment in today's life because everyone's expected to do everything on a certain timeline. And if they don't get the results they're looking for in a quick enough manner because of these smartphones and all these things, which are great, but if you're not aware of it, then you're going to be saying, oh, why me? Why is this not happening? It must not be meant for me. It must be nice for them to be able to do this or they live in fear. Um, and all these different variables. So I think it's just really important to be understanding the language and how you live your life because depending on how you live your life is going to tell you what your future is gonna look like. Yeah, and, and to add on to that, the social media reel, a lot of people only put the wins on social media. So your eyes only seeing that. And so when and they play the comparison game and they're so like, for example, if they look at me and they say, oh, she's been seizure free for seven and a half years. I'm not like that or what, you know, what is she doing? What can I do? And all of these little things, but it's just, it's just the, it's just the highlight. Um, so putting that into perspective is, is key for everybody. I feel. Yeah. That's why I love having these conversations. And that's why I do my best to be as open and vulnerable and authentic with everything I share on, on social media mm -hmm. and just on whatever platform it is, because it, to me, it's not a catalog of my best moments. It's it's a look into my life and in, into my mind. And everything I share for the most part, unless it's like an update on what I'm doing, um, it's usually something I'm learning and working through or I've worked through in the past and I'm sharing it to benefit other people. It's like a, a, like a therapeutic way of getting things out of me, but then also helping fulfill my mission of helping other people. But people don't understand that most people use it as a highlight reel or a catalog. And if you're trying to sell a certain, you know, image or something to whoever, you're not going to put, you know, your dirty um, stuff out there. You're not going to put your anything less than what you see as perfection or, you know, ideal out there. Um, you're going to put just what you think is the best version of whatever message you're trying to get across or image you're trying to get across. And I find that most people don't understand that they don't understand like this person's only allowing you or every person's only allowing you to see what they want you to see i try to be one of those people that's very transparent i've actually not been posting as much the last few months even before the seizure just because i'm like i want to do other things that have a larger impact and then use social media to promote it and i just kind of get burnt out with it um but i i definitely see that like it's it's and i did a podcast with my friend alex costa who's an instagram youtube influencer like a very successful and conscious one millions of followers subscribers his own brands actually left youtube and google to do his own thing and we were talking about like looking behind the curtain of social media and he was even talking about how he may be part of the problem because he's like people look at my photo that i post 
They don't understand that was one of 300 photos that we picked to get the right image and went through five different apps to edit it, everything. Like he does this for a profession. Mm -hmm. And, but his, his whole thing that he does is educating people on specifically men and men's fashion and talking about things men don't typically like to talk about out loud and educating them on these things. So I told him, I was like, well, you're not a part of the problem because you're bringing awareness to it, even in that statement that this is what's going on. You're teaching people how to present their best selves, which you do very well, which is why you're you know, one of the leaders in this field. But it's understanding that what you see anywhere in the internet, you can't just see it for face value. And that's why I call my podcast the Gray Matters Podcast. Like there's such a gray area. Not everything's so polarized, black and white, whether it's politics, it's health, it's religion, it's spirituality, it's success, it's business. Like there's such a gray area that actually is a majority. But people, because of emotions, and people are so skillful at this, they have jobs of manipulating people's emotions to only see what they want you to see or to buy only what you they want you to buy based on what you're seeing. So I think having conversations where it's like, hey, you know, this this is what I'm going through right now, you know, but here's what I've gone through before, here's what I've done, here's what I'm looking to do. I think just sharing everything, to me, that's going to help people relate and not feel weird or broken or right, because like... I was that kid. I was that shy. Like I see footage of me from 16, 17 BMX interviews at contests and I get emotional watching it because I'm like, I was so insecure. Uh, I labeled it as shy, but I was just insecure with my every part of my being except when I was on my bike. When I was on my bike, I could express myself. And how um, sad is that to be 17 and have such a life ahead of you, but to feel inadequate of being who you are and how many people feel that way? Even with last year, the pandemic, America's Got Talent and American Idol, they opened their auditions to be Zoom. And so many people were so talented that, you know, said they didn't have money to travel to the audition. So this was perfect or they didn't believe in themselves or they come from a town of 700 people that didn't believe in like yeah. all these things. And it's like how much talent and passion and, um, you know, profound uh, service to the world is out there that are being limited because of what they think other people think of them and they don't feel they have a story. They don't feel they have um, any kind of value. And it's like, if we could give them the opportunity to understand that they don't, they're not alone and their emotions are validated, but here's what you can do to, to get beyond that. Like that's my mission with everything I do is to allow people to express themselves based on where I come from and not feeling adequate to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. You have a whole, like library full of resources to help people too. Um, but just based on your experiences and what you've learned. And I do want to make note from myself too, that I just, you mentioned that you worked with Dr. Amen. <clears throat> I haven't watched your video about him yet. You're, but um, I am super interested in going to see him. He has a clinic near my hometown in Virginia that I wanted to go see about my brain. Cause I always joke that, um, that you know for me they don't they kind of know why i have epilepsy but it's it's not to it's not like definitive um i was a preemie at birth and they think that i have well they know that i have brain damage in my temporal lobe but i wanted to see him based on and do some scans to see if the things that i am actually are doing nutritionally and the mindset work are helping um and that, I kind of just threw that out there, but I, I did see that you, um, that you went and saw him. So was your, did you, he has a clinic in Boston. Is that where you went to see him? No, actually, um, Ryan Lowry and I went to his okay. Atlanta clinic, um, together and, um, I believe the video. So if you search on YouTube, um, Josh Perry ketones changed my brain and I can prove it little pun there yeah um, but then also i have holes in my brain it was a vlog and that's we went through um spect imaging which is what dr daniel amen specializes in showing the holes in the image were actually blood flow you know issue it wasn't actually a literal hole in my brain <laughs> um so just to be clear on that it was looking at like spect image like so an mri looks at the anatomy of the brain it actually shows the brain and all mm -hmm. the layers spect looks at blood flow and certain um activity and circuitry of the brain sorts of stuff like that so they look at a lot of emotional and personality traits and things and um, ultimately blood flow. And so the holes were just lack of blood flow at certain areas. And the way they show up as a hole in the image is based on a certain threshold. So the 
um, volume of the image or the lack of, it depends on certain levels of blood flow to that area of the brain. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can, um, I'll have to look it up to send you the direct link so that way you can share. Yeah. But if you search Josh Perry and then um, ketones changed my brain and I can prove it, and then Josh Perry, I have holes in my brain, um, that will probably bring them up. So one of them is a vlog of me and Ryan going through the whole process, talking about it, the certain days, um, everything to do with it. And then the other one is one of the functional psychiatrists that works for Amen Clinics breaking down like about an hour's worth of all the images and the like the different things and the tests that we did, um, everything is just kind of breaking it down in layman's terms and us having a dialogue back and forth. So um, there's the vlog and then there's the, like the 55 minute um, just recap of everything. Like he literally laid out all of the scans from Ryan and I, and then just kind of went through both of them. Yeah. So it, and it, did it show that the, um, that, now I guess to rewind a little bit, you, do you believe that you being on a ketogenic diet and doing the ketone therapy with exogenous ketones, that that helped keep your, um, your tumors and everything good for as long as it did. And do you recommend that for people going through the same thing to at least try the ketogenic diet? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen anything that would say majority of people wouldn't benefit even the slightest from a ketogenic diet approach and or exogenous ketones. Um, now that said, what I was told from Dr. Amen, from you know other doctors like Dr. Perlmutter, even Dr. Don Biagasina, like different people I've talked to, and Ryan, you know, with my low carb, high fat approach over the years, and then getting into keto and then fasting and exogenous ketones, things like that, it's definitely helped my brain because when we did the spec images, uh, Dr. Amen was so fascinated with with, with, um, with what Ryan and I did because we did a scan with and without exogenous ketones. Um, we did a baseline without, and then we did a concentration test and scan without, and then we did a concentration test and scan with exogenous ketones. So we had um, different comparisons and Dr. Amen was so fascinated by what we did that he had me on his podcast to talk about it and my story and everything. But what they were saying was spec shows trait, not state. So it shows like all like the past buildup of your brain and how it's um, put together and how it functions and all that, rather than just changing its state in the moment, which an MRI could look at the brain and show different highlighted areas based on that state. What we were able to do was show the brain can shift from uh, trait to state in terms of what it shows on the scan because of exogenous ketones. Now, I wish I would have done this in a different manner or in the future do it differently because I use the can of up. So mm -hmm. the free cell form, which is rapid, and then Ryan used the salts, the keto nat. Um, I, obviously the ups have caffeine. I would have loved to have done it without caffeine because I do know caffeine affects blood glucose levels as well as blood flow levels in the brain and different focuses. So it, to be thorough, I would have wanted to do it a different way if I could do it over again. Um, but either way, you know, to your question, I think anyone can benefit from exogenous ketones, MCT oil or powder, a little bit of fasting, depending on the context, of course, but majority of people and or ketogenic approach to diet. Um, what I noticed was the, um, from what we were, you know, going through the scans and what Dr. Amen expected to see, it wasn't as bad. And he was saying, you know, that's probably because of the years of almost a decade of, you know, being conscious of what I put in my body, being conscious of what I put in my mind, how I live physically and think my relationships and things like that have dramatically improved over the last 11 years. So um, it wasn't as bad as they expected. And then to be thorough, we would in theory do a follow up. Um, but now I have questions about the different um, things that went into it and then the new reoccurrence and surgery. So I'm not really that interested in doing another scan just yet because there's other variables. Um, but Dr. Amen did confirm, you know, from a speculation point of being an authority figure in the brain health world that what I've been doing to live my life with all these different aspects that we just talked about drastically improved because he expected to see worse, especially with the TBIs I've had and all that. Right. Um, and then that just kind of gave me more validation to the science that we're seeing subjectively to my own life. Right. No, and I, I think that's great. And it's a good to point out for when, with 
just relating it back to the audience of this podcast is that a lot of times people hear the word keto and they're like, oh, no way, there's no way I can do that. Or that's only for children because the ketogenic diet is really um, used as a treatment for children with epilepsy and not necessarily as for adults. It's really not 100 years ago now. Yeah. So a long time ago. Um, but when you're an adult in the epilepsy space, it's not brought up as the one of the treatment options very, very rarely. So Miles Sullivan, he, he speaks about this openly. He's over 600 days now seizure free, Mm -hmm. um, because of his diet, exogenous ketones. And, um, I've had him on the podcast as well, and I'd always be happy to introduce you to him and then Matt Tift, but Miles and I connected in 2017 or 18. And he was looking at a third brain surgery to remove more brain matter because they suspected that's what was continuing to cause his uh, seizures. You know, the first tumor, uh, the first brain surgery was to take the tumor out. Second was to remove brain matter around the area because that's what the surgeon thought. They've been fought, him and his mom been following me for some time, looking the keto, and they reached out as a last resort to prevent a third brain surgery. And he was having three to five, upwards of seven seizures a day, drug-resistant epilepsy. And after a few weeks of implementing a ketogenic approach to his diet, they started to diminish in numbers a day into diminishing in days a week and then going a week at a time, a month at a time, seizure-free. And then, you know, there was some ups and downs throughout the years, but he's, he just posted the other day, like just, I think it was like 585 days seizure-free now, That's which awesome. also prevented him from having a third exploratory brain surgery to remove brain matter, which I don't think is the best option. Um, And it's just, it goes to show how powerful the, and I think, I think people understand this, but not to the severity of what we're speaking about, that food has the biggest influence besides your mind of how you operate and how your body operates. Mm -hmm. What you put in your body doesn't just fuel it, it rebuilds it. And we know that from every part of the body that recycles itself over a day to 10 years at a time. It's like if you're building a wall for your house with particle board rather than plywood and treated plywood, you have a good, better, best scale. Particle board is going to be at the bottom. Maybe it's a good option because you get a wall. Plywood is going to be better. Treated plywood and covering it and sealing it is going to be the best option. That's going to give you the highest probability of not having a crack in the foundation. And so with food, I don't. it has to do with marketing and politics and pharma and big food corporations and then all this media and everything for decades, obviously. But it's just so interesting. It took a brain tumor for me to open my mind to be like, oh, maybe not living off of sugar and alcohol is a good thing. Maybe living <laughs> right. off those things is causing this. Right. And that's my mission is, is to allow people to take a look through their life through my lens of what I've gone through and to prioritize taking care of themselves with the things they do have control over, which is the content you consume, obviously what you put in your mind, who you hang out with, and then what you're putting in your body. And I get that all the time. Like, oh, I can't do keto. It's like, well, we don't have to do keto. Right. There's let's, other just, let's just eat real food first. Right. And then let's try keto for you know a day, a week, a month, whatever it is, to see how you go. And it never fails. They're always like, oh, that was easier than I thought. It's because they're so overwhelmed with the misinformation, the ignorance they have, and then just the fear of it. Once they have someone that guides them through it, and then they try it, they start to, I've had people tell me like, oh, I didn't know that like um, my brain would be on fire in a good way like it is today. I thought I was just trying to lose weight because obviously it's really effective at that. Um, This is like CEOs I've worked with. Oh, I didn't know I was gonna have this confidence. I didn't know I was going to be able to put, you know, thoughts together to where I presented this business idea. That could be a million dollar idea that you helped me with. And it's like, yeah, right. Like, I didn't get into keto for a weight loss, you know, effort. My body composition improved, of course. It couldn't help but do that using fat as fuel. But it was mostly about my brain. If not everything was, it was about my brain in entirety when I started. And then I started to learn deeper and deeper how this can help so many people, especially with mental health, which I have a lot of friends in that space that write books and speak and produce content about mental health. And it's like, they're all on board for the most part about food, maybe not so specific into low carb keto strategies, but just eating real food and supplementing and removing the toxins, which most of the toxins are, you know, unconsciously chosen, aka cigarettes, alcohol, other drugs, or just sugar, things like that in abundance, of course, there's a a gray area with sugar. Sugar is not the devil. It's not evil. It's just a matter of your sourcing. So um, there's a lot of variables to it. And I just think that it's just something that if people take a second and to look deeper, to look at these conversations and ask themselves, 
what am I doing? And is that helping me or hurting me? Maybe not in the short term, but in the long term, because that's how health works. It, it could be right in this moment, you know, that could be a drug. It's gonna affect you right now. Food takes a little bit more time and it just kind of adds up and adds up and adds up until we get to a point where we're like, I've never had a problem with processed food before, but now I'm 30 and I'm like, <laughs> I'm 40 pounds overweight and my knee hurts. Right. Yeah, Cause exactly. it took all that time for you slowly easing into it to where it hurts so bad that you're like, oh, now I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. And then what can you do about it? There's plenty of things people can do, especially if they're alive. Exactly. And I, um, and it's just important that, so even though, uh, the treatment option for people with epilepsy, adults with epilepsy is not typically ketogenic, doesn't mean you should not explore it. And like you, like you mentioned, it doesn't have to be all in all from the very beginning. You can do start one step at a time, just clean up your diet, have more whole foods, maybe incorporate a little MCT oil at first, you know, maybe don't eat breakfast until 10, 11 o'clock, like do those little baby steps and then see how you feel. And that's what I recommend to my clients all the time is back to the journal comment, write the things down, write how you're feeling um, in relation to the food that you're eating. Cause of course, if you eat a bag of chips and hot dogs, and I mean, we just got done with the holiday, all that stuff. And then you feel like poop and sludgy the next day. Well, maybe think about it. Maybe you shouldn't be consuming that kind of stuff and then see how you feel when you don't eat that. Um, yeah, so I think 100%. That's really important. yeah. And for people that are interested in epilepsy and a ketogenic approach backed by science and research and studies, you know, look at the Charlie Foundation, yep. look at the Max Love Project, look at the ketogenic Bible that Dr. Lowry and Jake Wilson wrote. They have a whole history of how ketones were found on accident through extended fasting because they noticed when they were fasting, this is in a clinical setting, they were fasting patients, the seizure activity went away and they found these, these uh, molecules in the blood. And so the ketogenic diet was formed to prevent muscle loss, but also giving them fuel to not be so calorically deficit but to control their blood sugar, which created ketones. And then the pharmaceutical companies came around and developed a drug that just made everything easier because they didn't have to audit this. And that's what you know a lot of people gravitate towards, especially today. And then that's, you know, it's just, it's such a good way of understanding the history, the timeline and how big food and big pharma take over and how there's so much politics and money backing these things that makes this conversation so challenging for people to even open their mind, let alone accept that, oh, food could help me. And it's just, it's super sad to me, but the people like Miles, Matt Tift, myself, Logan Sneed is another one. He had a seizure while driving that found the brain tumor. He was diagnosed with uh, stage four uh, glioblastoma, still alive and well today. But the, the doctor told him, yeah, there's nothing you can do. Just go have a beer and a burger and like call it a day. And thankfully he had a friend that introduced him to keto and he's been you know crushing it. But it's just like, our society makes it so difficult for people to just open their mind, let alone accept something as a possibility or even a fact. But there's plenty of research out there. There's plenty of um, information sharing the history and the timeline around these things and why things are the way they are now rather than what we would expect them to be. And it just it's just a matter of people taking the time. The Q-Drink Bible, you just read that one chapter in it yeah. about the storyline and especially with epilepsy and all the different things with Dr. Cahill and like, there's just so much there um, in terms of value and just small portions of time to, to take to, to at least be curious. And I think everything comes back to if you can look at life and your reality with curiosity rather than judgment, you'll start to see more opportunities pop up in front of you to uh, increase the probability of having the ideal life that you actually want and not just running from something you don't want. And a ketogenic approach could help some with with epilepsy. It helps Miles, helps many other people. Um, The Charlie Foundation is formed off of it. Max Love Project is all about educating. Like there's so many things. And the Metabolic Health Summit um, is another great organization and event of all the greatest thought leaders and doctors and speakers in and scientists in metabolic health, whether it's for epilepsy, cancer, athletic performance, mental health, diabetes, whatever. There's so many resources, especially if you have a phone, like you can access any one of them. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, thank you so much. I think we can end on that note. Um, I appreciate your time. And is there any one last piece of advice that you'd like to give the audience before we sign off? 
Um, no, I mean, first, I appreciate you having me on and uh, being able to share. As you can see, I love to share these things. It's just stuff that I wish I knew 11 years ago. Right. Um, but that's not the reality that yeah. I live within. So uh, I do have a chance to share and to change what my tomorrow looks like and help other people do the same. So I just want people to know, like, you're not you're not your circumstances and you can rise above them. It's just about creating what that looks like in your mind. And that may be challenging. I went through that for two years after leaving BMX and having an idea of what I wanted to do, but I, I had this internal belief around identity that I wasn't capable because I was just a BMX rider. And so I understand that it could be challenging to create that vision. It could be challenging to find your true purpose. It could be challenging to find your passion, but the reality is it's not impossible. It's just a matter of you exploring what excites you, exploring what you love to do, whether it be a side hobby, a side hustle, or even a full on career. It just takes time. The learnings come through the journey. And by pursuing stuff that you are passionate about and exciting uh, for you and that you love to do, you're going to learn more about yourself and learn more about how you can optimize yourself and just be open and curious. Um, and then on top of that, I just love to let people know that like fear is just a thought and that thought triggers the emotion that is fear, which drives the behavior fueled by fear. And you can change those thoughts. So you can change your emotions and you can change the behavior you take. And just by doing simple things like that, you're going to create a whole different reality that you experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's going to indirectly and dire directly affect other people and the world. It's called ecology. It's about self, it's about others, and it's about the planet. And when you can make these shifts, you can make shifts to other aspects, but it starts with you. It's another phrase I love to say is you be the change you want to see. Start with you, share from a place of love and experience with others, and you'll start to see a ripple effect occur within your community, outside your community. And the point where I've got to today, where I have people around the world that somehow are interested in what I have to say, which is something I'm still trying to fully wrap my mind around. Um, but I've, I've taken note of it and I've gone all in on it. But um, at the end of the day, I'm no, I'm no special. I know people are going to say that sounds harsh. That's sad. Like I, I don't mean it in that way. I mean it is I'm a human being just like every one of you. And if I'm able to do the things that I'm able to do because of the thoughts and the emotions and the awareness and education the experiences that I've gone through and the choices I've made, so can everyone else. Maybe not in the micro. Again, if you don't have legs, for example, which I know people that don't have legs, mm -hmm. maybe you're not going to be able to ride a bike or ride a bike to the degree that I've ridden it. Um, but in the macro, when it comes to a human need and a desire, the choice is there. It's all about what you put in your mind. And so plenty of resources out there. You are one of them. I am one of them. There's so many free resources. There's so many low cost resources. Um, it's just about being open and asking for help and seeing where that takes you. All right. Thank you so much.